Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, and uh, here a guest tonight is Gary Grant. But before we get to Gary, uh, just thank you for all your support on all the previous interviews. And uh, there's a great lineup here in March with some live interviews. I uh, started with Yari Villanueva a couple of weeks ago. Of course, we got Gary tonight, uh, Ashley Hall uh, coming up, uh, Al Chez, some other really terrific names. And uh, you can, of course, check the uh, Studio HFL webpage for the exact lineup, times, dates, and all that sort of thing. I would like to thank uh, all the sponsors, of course, Pickett, Brass, Eastman Winds, uh, Carl Hammond Design, uh, Messina Covers, S.E. Shires, Chop Saver, and Austin Custom Brass. Is that enough? That's enough, right? <laughs> That's enough. But uh, great support from them and, of course, uh, from my Patreon patrons. If you would like to become a Patreon patron, you can go to patreon.com slash studio HFL and uh, check out the ways you can support there. All right. So that was it. We've got to get the business out of the way. And now for some fun. Uh, welcome, Gary Grant. This is, uh, this is a treat to get to talk to you. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Larry. So, you know, yours is one of those names that I grew up with. It was like, you know, you heard the name Malcolm McNabb, you heard Jerry Hay, you heard Gary Grant, you heard all these names and, and uh, just kind of maybe off on a pedestal, you know, it's like uh, the Greek gods uh, somewhere off in the clouds sitting there <laughs> creating all this great uh, trumpet music. But, um, but here you are and uh, you said you're sitting in your backyard. You're in California now, is that right? That's correct. I'm over in the Palm Springs area. Mm -hmm. uh, I've lived over. I, I bought this home, this home in, in 2005 mm -hmm. and uh, was a, a second home. And so in 2016, I moved here mm -hmm. permanently and gave my home in Los Angeles to my daughter. But your your accent is not a West Coast accent. No, I'm no. originally from Florida. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have put you in Florida either. I thought. Uh, I thought you were you know, in my neck of the woods, kind of in the Midwest. Uh, well, yeah. I've, I've never been accused of that. I've been accused of uh, <laughs> of Texas. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, a little, a little further south. So, hey, listen, um, where, wherever you, wherever we are, is God's country. Oh, that's right. Although right now here in Indiana, uh, it's it's wet and it's been wet uh, all day long. So, um, okay, so transplanted from Florida to California. Of course, uh, recording studios probably brought you out that way. Um, but uh, you know what? Let's let's back up. I want to talk first about what's going on today. What's keeping you busy these days? Projects and such. Um. I'm busy uh, recording a record that uh, features me, that I'm the artist, and I'm uh, in partnership with a gentleman by the name of Pat Vetus from Vero Beach, Florida, in that area. And uh, I've recorded 11 tunes so far, and, and uh, uh, that's some really nice stuff. Very musical. I'm very happy with it. Uh, it's a different. Um, it's it's a kind of um, uh, music that is 
it's it's not wave. It's not jazz. It does have jazz. Does have you could consider melodies wave if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's classical. It's uh, it's got bop in it. It's got so the categories is what I want to do because I I grew up as a, a doing versatile music and recording versatile music mm-hmm. as a musician for 45, 50 years in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And uh, to be happy doing that, you must love all kind of music and have an pers- open perspective to all kinds of music. And I found early on that the most important thing was the musicians that you played with. Uh, was a real joy for me and you know I mean granted you can only do so many long tones <laughs> and on M11 but man it was a kick to play in 90 piece orchestras and play first trumpet with those big orchestras and uh, and to uh, be um, with people from the LA Philharmonic and be with, you know, that genre of people uh, like Malcolm, marvelous, marvelous, what fun, man. And, uh, you know, so uh, I'm recording a record that emulates what I want to do. I'm not worried about the world. I'm not worried about a category. Uh, I should say I'm not concerned with the category of music. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's like I said, it's like what I want to do, so I'm happy with it. Are these your compositions, your arrangements? They are partially my arrangements, but they are Pat Vetus's composition. Mm-hmm. And, and then I take it from there. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's a partnership. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy to work with. Doesn't doesn't ever tell me nothing except for that sounds great, you know. So when you're with somebody like that, it's really, really good, you know. That I have open expression, and we have a common goal, and uh, mm-hmm. that's hard to find. And mm-hmm. You know, and especially when you uh, get involved in, in records and stuff, there's so many uh, avenues that people tell you what they want you to do to make the record sales. And this is my third record. I've never made money on records, ever, and my own personal records. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've broke even, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I haven't really made any money like the big artists do and stuff like that so that wheel doesn't usually turn for the arts as you as you well know yeah i want to go back to something you said a minute ago about uh, being able to embrace all types of music all kinds of music and uh, i think that's really relevant today especially in the orchestra world as we are well we're not quite post pandemic but as orchestras and other performing arts organizations have to do something different, right? They've had, they've had to pivot. They've had to find new ways to 
keep their audience or grow their audience. And one of those ways, of course, is including more POPs programming. And of course, now POPs is so broad, right? I mean, it's everything from, uh, you know, rap to country to, uh, you know, playing the movie score. Um, there's a lot of hesitation, a lot of resistance from uh, our colleagues. Uh, I don't know if you see that out there, but that's something that I see. Um, and I understand it, right? I mean, we've all trained to play the Mahler symphonies and the Beethoven symphonies. Um, but what's, can you, can you talk a little bit more about that, about how maybe you came to, to that perspective of embracing the different styles? You know, it's always been here, Larry. Uh, for example, in 2001, uh, 2002, Sergei Nekedokov came and stayed with me for a week. Mm. And he said that the issues, because he does the Mendelssohn, he does cello pieces, uh, bassoon pieces, uh, violin pieces, because the repertoire for the trumpet isn't extensive enough for new material. Mm -hmm. And he said then, and he met with people with the LA Philharmonic, and then you've got your purists involved in there that only want to hear a trumpet, I mean, a violin play, a violin piece, not a trumpet player. And they think it's a sacrilege. So I can understand that, and I do understand it, but uh, it certainly, uh, and and the orchestras have changed, have given into that somewhat, mm -hmm. but he would not. Uh, he he found a lot of resistance, and uh, a lot of uh, American orchestras that wouldn't accept, uh, you know, him doing the pieces he did. And I, I think just just been here for a while. I can understand that, but it, it, it all it is as good as it is to keep the masters going. I, you know, I mean, God love them. But, uh, you know, the, the thing about rules is that they need to be broken. Hmm. You know, they, they truly do. And there's so many beautiful musicians in this world. Let's don't limit that performance and that joy of listening to them perform uh, it, by saying an ironclad rule that we can't have that. So I, I just think it's been around a while and mm -hmm. and um, I became, I started producing because uh, to, to be an entrepreneur in the music world and not just be a studio sausage. Uh, a studio <laughs> sausage is a guy that just comes in and takes his horn out and warms up and warms his fouls and plays exactly what he's supposed to play and dazzles hopefully the composer and packs up and goes home and has a practices or does whatever those things and that's it. And I was always more interested in what was happening and on the other side of the glass, as opposed to 
just as a performer. And uh, it, it interested me what the, the frequencies were for different instruments. What were the best mics to use for the different instruments? The mic pre's that correlate with those microphones in capturing the best sound you can capture on somebody. And, uh, and, and all the, uh, you know, I could go into a studio and there'd be an SSL board there and uh, the engineer could record me, but uh, I could switch and he couldn't switch. He can come out and play the trumpet, you know. <laughs> and I and I, I learned a lot of that stuff uh, with Jerry Hay, mm -hmm. and uh, doing those horns and and uh, as much as uh, you know, we went on tour with Quincy. We went on tour with uh, uh, Stevie Wonder, and we did, you know, I did big band stuff, and and you know, with, I was with Woody Herman for a couple of years, and it just. Um, went on tour with the Honolulu Symphony and did different genres of music in the live world. Usually when the Jerry Hay Horns performed, everybody associated with the, uh, the record label, uh, people associated with the artists, the studio would be jammed with people in the booth to come watch us lay this thing down because it was going to go down blistering and <laughs> and 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 they would just be amazed at, at that so that was sort of the live feedback that we got as players uh, you know what i mean even though it was going to tape and then we could stop and we could punch in if we had to mm -hmm. uh especially in the last 15 20 years but the 30 years before that was uh, two-inch tape, and wasn't a whole lot of that going on. So it, it was um, a different time, mm -hmm. and it was uh, um, really an experience of that live vibe that you get from the feedback as a performer. Plus, it, you didn't have to get on a bus or a plane. <laughs> You know, and to go do that, you know, so, uh, but I, I found that being uh, uh, versatile is what I like to do. Uh, I love country music. Uh, I do. Uh, I love, and I'm not going to prefix any of it with, well, it's got to be this kind of country music. It can't be, no, I love country music. I love all music that is well done. Mm -hmm. If you've got a, a dyad or a triad with a couple of guys, hopefully more, then and you get those harmonics in tune when you're playing and phrasing and listening to each other and balancing, that's music. There's no two ifs and ways about it. A lot of the... Uh, legitimate uh, repertoire, the classical repertoire is learned all throughout your whole life of playing Mahler and playing a, a, a how, to, how to perform mm -hmm. that kind of sound and depth and man, it's valid. It's really extremely mm -hmm. valid. 
but uh, then you know you there was uh, taking that and going into an, a situation where it's not learned, the music's not learned, and you have to sight read and make it sound like you've played it all your life. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge. So it's, it's a serious challenge. It is it separates the men from the boys. Well, uh, okay. So two things here. One is uh, all your experience in a recording studio, and then all your recording, all your experience performing live. Talking about touring with Quincy and and Woody Herman and such. I mean, of course, you enjoy both, right? I mean, the yeah. the live. But the uh, do you do much live performance these days? No. No. Uh, do you miss it? No. Evans, really? No. Not at all. Um, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I might sometime, I've got it in my mind to maybe go out to, uh, they got some uh, jazz clubs here in the Coachella Valley and some pretty good players, you know, just go in and sit in and play a standard tune or two and sort of get that out of my system. But um, I really, I really, especially since the pandemic hit and all that stuff we went through, that mess, I, I, I was very, very comfortable in recording at home through it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I know it ruined a lot of guys. I had calls in Los Angeles. To, they, they were going to do a remake of Staying Alive, the movie. Mm-hmm. And I did the original, so that is, that's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, let me do the math on here. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's about 40, yeah. 43 years ago, you know. Yeah. They wanted to use many of the original people they could, and uh, wasn't that many of us alive. And, and just before we even talked about the times, I think about three or four days of it, mm-hmm. um, I just said, no, no, thank you, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I did it so much, I really don't miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think guys, when they get up to my age, Larry, they, they the, the biggest thing is they miss the camaraderie with the other musicians, mm-hmm. you know. And especially because I was producing uh, Wayne Bergeron's band, big band and producing Arturo and, of course, Malcolm and, and mm-hmm. just uh, just a whole array of people that, uh, you know, you, you miss that moments, mm-hmm. you know, the moments of the music, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to capture that, you know. Uh, so uh, with the live performance versus uh, recording studio, not the producing aspect, but the performance aspect, do you, did you think there was more risk in live performance or more risk uh, before you could actually do punches? But was there more risk when you were recording to tape? Uh, am I, I don't know if I'm, it's like, did you feel like there was, or maybe pressure, maybe risk isn't the thing, but did you feel only like... If, only if you were doing a uh, directed disc. A direct-to-disc recordings uh, with Doug Sachs, he started that, but where you would do 
the whole album on one side without stopping. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, there wasn't any stopping, period. It was all done live. And it was done ex like state-of-the-art performance. Mm -hmm. If you had a big clam, it's there yeah, forever. <laughs> are, are you going to start over again? Yeah, you know? yeah, and, yeah. And uh, you, you can hear the, because uh, I did a few of those, and it wasn't for me, but for some, uh, somebody else. And, you know, and the strings went, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, in that sense, and it didn't, it, the money wasn't any better. The stress was a lot more, mm -hmm. and and it, the concentration wasn't. I don't think it was different. It was mm. we were always trying our best. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of stuff we recorded with Jerry that uh, uh, you know we'd go in, and the first time that we recorded something, we went straight down, just so the producer could hear and the artist could hear the arrangement. Mm -hmm. and how it fit in the tune and get a jazz of what was going on, you know. So, you know, like uh, some of the tunes had longer vamps than they had was the tune. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it would, that, that could be very manly. And, uh, uh, you know, you didn't really worry about any, you know, crashes or anything but mm -hmm, you just mm -hmm. kept going and got them through it you know but mm -hmm. most of the time we were really really close mm -hmm. uh the orchestras were so good that they uh would be just uh playing look like spaghetti music on the uh on their music and they would perform it it, it sounded like a recording to me i yeah. mean lord of mercy it was good and mm -hmm. they they came from all over the world so the stress the stress on the um on the tape versus um the computer is um yeah it, there's a lot with that uh technology Mm -hmm. it, the music became a little bit more absurd, and the, and the what people would demand of you, and write for you. Mm -hmm. There were still times without the tape too, but they uh, there's a lot of that with uh, you know a composer wanting to put his signature in there, and it was really. Pretty much impossible to play, mm -hmm. and we did it many, many times. All those instances were done uh, time after time, and uh, you know we we would, yeah. So, how but, many of those? Uh, how many of those were uh, first take? Right, where you where you nailed it, and you just all right, let's move on, next one. I mean, did were there a lot of instances where that happened? Well. You know, there's so many instances. I mean, so many uh, uh, different angles about that. Uh, you might, we might have just nailed it first time down, 
and the engineer comes back, okay, I got a balance. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean. Or I forgot to push record. record. Right, yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that comes into play, you know, and then, and then, uh, uh, yeah, there was, uh, Jerry and I were doing a, a record, and Bill, Bill Reichenbach, Eastman School mm -hmm. of Music, uh, marvelous musician. Yeah. That's a good example. That's a pal of mine that I showed it up with for 40 years. Mm. Boy, is he a good musician. Bill Reichenbach. Yes, sir. I think Vinny DiMartino told me about him. Are they kind did. of in the same? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the same age, practically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're the same John. Same I don't know if, I, I think he was there when I, when Bill was at Eastman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so you keep mentioning this guy named Jerry. Um, oh, Jerry, not, hey. I'm yeah, yeah I, I know. No, no, I know who it is. I was, I was trying to be funny about that. You know, I was going to say, is Jerry Lewis? No, I wasn't Jerry Lewis for sure. Um, tell me, uh, <laughs> although, did you ever work with Jerry Lewis? Did you ever play any of the telethons or anything like that? I never did. Uh, Rick Baptist mostly did that. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a funny story that one time they'd been on the stand for about 32 hours. Mm. And and Ray Charles was going to come on the telethon and do, you know, and this, I don't care. 32 hours is a long time. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, they have the breaks. And Ray Charles comes on and he says, okay, he says, uh, I want to rehearse the band on the break. Mm. And the band is like dragging. Dragging. <laughs> so they go back and they, <clears throat> they're a little bugged. You know, they tried to tell him it. Mr. Charles, they want this band can play it. No, 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 I want to hear it. So, started rehearsing the band, and Rick just said, Hey, guys, let's just take the trumpet parts down an octave mm. for the rehearsal. Mm -hmm. He kicked that off, and it was a big band thing, you know, and he's, he's uh, playing down an octave. Hold on, hold on, hold on here. Ray Charles says, Trumpets. He says, what are you guys doing back there? And Rick says, well, Mr. Charles, we, um, we've been playing a lot and we're just saving ourselves for when we do the performance. And he says, uh, and he says, no, he says, let me hear that now, right now. I want to hear the trumpets as they're written. Mm. And he, and Rick says, you can either hear it here on the rehearsal or out there on the show. Sort of like giving him an ultimatum, you know? Yeah. Trumpet man, what's your name? Gary Grant. <laughs> so, I mean, he, that's what he said. And a uh, funny yeah. line. He's quick on his feet. Yeah. And, Threw you under the bus. That's awesome. Yeah. I wasn't. Oh. I wasn't. Yeah. So okay, uh, I was I was joking about Jerry Lewis, but of course Jerry Hay is who you're talking about, and it it sounds yeah. like you've been lifelong friends and and colleagues. But uh, tell me about where you guys met, how that came about. I met Jerry in Hawaii. Uh, I went over there to to play uh, first trumpet for the for Diane Ross and the Temptations, 
And uh, yeah, so um, I met Jerry. He was playing the uh, guy by the name of Dick Jensen. Mm-hmm. And he was doing that show, and um, uh, they had this vamp at the end of the show. It was a Sunday night, and he was playing the vamp up the double C's at the end of 13 shows that week, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. just nailing it. And I met him after, you know, after the show and everything. What, what size mouthpiece you play? And he says, <laughs> A one and a half C Bach, and I said, "Lord of mercy!" <laughs> and wow. that was my first experience with Jerry, you know. And we became fast friends, and and mm-hmm. uh, played together. And I uh, uh, I studied with the Bill Adams uh, routine with with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they taught me him and Larry Hall both mm-hmm. uh, showed me all the routine and stuff, and we went at it. Uh, you know, uh, we played shows over there mostly, no, no recording, just live shows. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, Chuck Finley would come over, Ollie Mitchell, uh, other musicians, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, uh, Steely Dan would come over, and I think he lived there. But uh, on my what was the name of Jerry's band? Sea Wind. Sea Wind, thank you. I, I skipped my mind. So, were you starting to play with that with that group? Yes, we formed. A, it was eleven piece group originally, mm-hmm. and then the next concert, I think it went down to uh, nine, and then it went. It, then it just kept going to seven pieces, and I think that's where they ended up. She was. Larry Williams on keyboards and played sax, and Kim Uscroft, Kim Wilde, Bob Wilson, Pauline, and Jerry. And yeah, six six people. Mm. So, and Kim Wilde, seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so uh, it, it, as far as I did sorry, those, go ahead. Go I did ahead. all those. I did all those recordings. Yeah, with mm-hmm. with the group. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were um, uh, uh, very, very musical, had a big following. It was great. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously that uh, opened a lot of doors, but you were already, you've already made a name for yourself before you've headed to Hawaii. I mean, you're not going to get on Diana Ross, uh, her band, <laughs> without um, having proved yourself somewhere before. That's correct. And that's the way it is. That's the way it used to be. Is that you during the late '60s and the early '70s, uh, and this was the early '70s, that you there was so many, so much going on with live groups, live bands, things that. Uh, uh, Edgar Winter, and uh, then you had your uh, symphonies, and you had the, uh, uh, you know, you had the ice capades, and you had this and that, and you had all these shows and stuff going on, and those were, uh, it was a lot of, not shortage of horn players. You had mm-hmm. Stan mm-hmm. Kenton's band, you had Woody Herman's band, you had Buddy Rich's big band, you had Count Basie, you had Duke Ellington. You had all those big bands, and they were uh, 
pretty set, but some of them changed over. Woody's band changed over quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I recorded uh, Light My Fire with Woody in 1968, and that was the biggest record he did. Uh, since Woodchop, uh, since he did Woodchopper's Ball in 1947, mm -hmm. so that wow. re-established him, you know. And I've been fortunate to be a part of people's records, where they re-did a surgency in their sales and their popularity uh, from those records. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it, I just it wasn't so much me. It was just wasn't me at all. It was the timing, mm -hmm. and the writers and the composers, the tunes and the timing of, of things mm -hmm. and of course those all disappeared with the computer coming out and the synth horns and stuff mm -hmm. like that and uh, uh, if, you know uh, in the late 80s 90s early 90s guys were talking about I mean they had actually a disc they were selling called the Jerry Hay horns and and Jerry sent a letter, his lawyer sent a letter that you don't have permission to do that. Mm -hmm. And you need to pull that off your library immediately. Mm -hmm. And they did. And we, we got offers to go in and record the horn section because we had a sound nobody else had. Mm -hmm. uh, we were lucky that Jerry and I hooked up and, uh, and, and with Chuck Finley too. And this uh, was just uh, uh, a particular sound we generated that mm -hmm. um, we didn't want, it, it wasn't so much the, the sound of the horns. I mean, the guy could get it on a, on a record if he played the right kind of horn line and have the Jerry A horns and he could sell it. Mm -hmm. But that, it, that wasn't, that what the, the, the that, that magic of the performance, the air, the intent, and yeah. the writing <clears throat> from the genius of Jerry Hay is mm -hmm. what you what was intriguing about us, you know. Um, was it always the lead chair, or did you ever sit in the jazz chair with any of those bands? Uh, I did. Um, no. Mostly in the lead book. Um, mm -hmm. I did play jazz. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, I love jazz, man. But it's it's a dedication that uh, <laughs> is sort of like, uh, uh, sort of like my classical playing. It's pretty good at times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but it's 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 you know it's another. It's another kind of dedication of, you know, that usually classical players, usually, mm -hmm. it's not always, usual, usually they don't cross over very well mm -hmm. into, the, into a swing or a jazz idiom, for the most part. And that's not, that rule's been broken too. Well, Winton, Winton was a great example of that. Winton is a marvelous example yeah. of that. Yeah. Oh, my Lord of mercy. And, <laughs> and Alan Fazuti also. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, the fire dance he did back in the late 70s and the 80s was just ridiculous. And he's, yeah. 
you know, he's done it. He's done it all. However, you know, you have your Michael Sachs that doesn't reach over, and what a player, man! <laughs> what a monster, you know, yeah. and all all the um, uh, so it, you know, it, it's sort of like um, doing a dance and studying the instrument as as legitimately as you can mm -hmm. with production of sound and and being able to create beauty with it and not only on your attacks but the releases not sagging and doing all those things that make it sound ugly mm -hmm. and and uh and and like it, it, where sound isn't uh uh, you know, guys would tell me sound is way overrated, mm. and and to me, it's the invite that is is real important for me. To other people, it's t totally different. It's what mm -hmm. it was. It's what comes from the heart always. With me too, but also too, I love the great sound of the horn. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, when they came out with the lo-fi records, I was going, I beg your pardon? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm, lo-fi. Mm -hmm. What is that, Larry? It's cheap. Yeah. It's cheaping it's, out. It's, yeah. It's, it's sort of like degrades all the, the standard, I would guess, of, the, you know, you know, being dedicated to music is is a is a lifetime endeavor. There's always something to learn on it. It's not to say that a guy that has his heart into it and can control the instrument somewhat can't project an mm -hmm. emotional reaction from a listener as much as I can with the great sound. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, you know, let me preface that, that, but it's, you know, it's not something that I'm going to cross the street and go listen to. Let me get over there and hear that. Boy, I'm going to hear this guy just crack all these <clears throat> notes, you know. And whereas it took me really years of listening to Miles and uh, and that to understand where he was coming from and how a marvelous trumpet player he is, mm -hmm. you know, he he was so in depth with his harmonic and his growth, uh, you know, it's just like his t timing and his feel, just marvelous, marvelous, you know, and and. Well, to think that sound is, is overrated or sound is not as important, I mean, it, it, take somebody like Sergei and all the technique that he has. If he didn't have the sound to go with it, who, who would listen to it? Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, yeah, the sound exactly. is, is key. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's our speaker, and uh, I think it is the key, it's especially for learned studied musicians, you know, uh, mm -hmm. James Morrison is another example of somebody that doesn't 
doesn't practice. He doesn't practice the horn. Yeah, I, I hate that. <laughs> it's not fair, is it? <laughs> what a marvelous guy, you know, to yeah. be able to do yeah. that. So, I, you know, whenever I give my perception, it's important that I, I don't, my... angle or outlook on it doesn't uh, limit mm -hmm. other people that would wish to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's shift over to a recording studio for a minute. You know, I, I've had the, the good fortune to talk to Malcolm, of course, um, Wayne Bergeron, uh, Bobby, um, and uh, who else? Well, of course, you. Um, and gotten some good perspective on recording studio but, but it sounds like it was the most non-competitive situation it sounded like everybody was just uh, completely supportive of everybody else and you know to me that was that was a very interesting uh, perspective to hear because you know you think how competitive is to get into that scene in the first place uh, but it seemed like once you ran, you know, people were talking about you on Racy, and what a gem of a person he was. And um, they would say that before they would describe this beautiful trumpet playing. Yeah, man, he did things that are uh, 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 world class classical recordings. Mm -hmm. Not only with Billy May and all that stuff with, that he did in the in that era, but being first trumpet player. What a, uh, the first thing they would say about him is what a marvelous person he is. <laughs> first thing. That's the kind of the best legacy, isn't it? It's the very best. Mm -hmm. yeah. It really is mm -hmm. because it's how you touch people. There was other guys that came along. One comes to mind of Paul Hubenon. He was from, uh, I think, Philadelphia or he was Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And... He recorded with the Cleveland Orchestra when he was 15 years old. Mm. And when in the Yamanote came out here and he just wanted to be at the top. And just couldn't get knock off Chuck Finley. It was <laughs> Chuck was Chuck was all over the place, you know, and he just didn't mean but boom. When he played, Paul would never miss anything. But he was—he had issues with uh, his personality, of dominating people, and sort of giving you that look down. You know, things like that. Sure. That doesn't work out in the end. Good, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And he died. He died at 34 years old. Mm. He had. Uh, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, <laughs> marvelous player, man. I worked with Paul, and mm -hmm. he was really, really good. Really good. You know, Malcolm uh, shared, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. You go well, ahead. I was going to say, Malcolm Malcolm shared, you know, that you guys would get into the studio. You know, you would know everybody's strengths. You know, who's the who's got the lyrical chops? Who's got the uh, whatever? And that uh, it'd be like, okay, you play this, you play this. Uh, again, it seems like, well, that's that's the best way to do it, right? Because it's going to be, it's going to work. 
So, so the question to... is, is what was your strength or what is your strength? Were you the, the lyrical player? I know you can play the high stuff, but. I can play lyrical stuff. I can play uh, all the registers. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, um, the issues with in recording is that we manipulated the industry to pay the first trumpet player extra money. So as you deal with this imagery of, oh, get Gary Grant, he's the best, best man, he does this, does that, he's done this and does, well, uh, that. So that imagery of, of you know, and they, they've got slogans like, you're only as good as your last note. You know, uh, I did name that tune for three years, and, and hmm. it was a thread on that show. If you miss a melody, your career was done. Wow. So, because it was all live, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, and uh, so... As a first trumpet player, if I'm in there and I've got uh, a solo and I have Malcolm sitting there or I have a John Lewis and I've seen Malcolm where guys would ask him to play something and they weren't really nice to him, he'd say, no, nah, you got it. <laughs> so it can, it can work against you. Mm -hmm. uh, Malcolm, Malcolm used to tell me I was the only first trumpet player that he would work with that where he would play other than first trumpet. Mm. Other words, he was taking less money mm -hmm. and I was getting the more money and that was because of our camaraderie and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, 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 I, you know, because when I produced him, I, I, I also engineered. And uh, he wouldn't want me to, <laughs> oh, Malcolm, I just lost those last hundred bars, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. so, so, you know, there's a way that you show your appreciation for guys that do help you when you're, uh, a lot of times when we did the uh, Jerry stuff, everybody was making the same money, mm -hmm. which was good. We were best with the best artists, the best producers, the best engineers, and the best money. Mm. Not that not that everybody else didn't get good money at times, but we got it all the time with it. Mm -hmm. And Jerry saw to that in a nice way, and yet we never went for the money. Mm. It was always there. It was a rate, and boom, no problem. So. You know, and, and and in that sense, of course, that changed when the synth horns came out and all that stuff uh, with that demand. And yet we went, still did a lot of stuff. You know, I did a lot of uh, movies and recordings with Aaron Zygmunt. And uh, uh, he's composed around, I don't know, 80, 90 movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, done a lot of stuff. and. And uh, Alan Silvestri, I did 65 with him, did all the Back to the Futures and, mm. and some other, it, just marvelous soundtracks, you know, and uh, 
with the orchestra and then with Jerry, it was always, uh, when we played those dates, uh, Jerry played second and Larry Hall played third and I got the first trumpet playing money. Mm -hmm. And they never ever said, well, you're getting the big bucks. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was like, I would always confer with Jerry always in the section when we talked about the music or how we're going to do it and what's the approach of it you know and uh yeah so yeah the camaraderie is really really good and it's about really uh malcolm would never say anything he would never say anything because he didn't want to draw attention to himself hmm. He wanted to just come in and blister it down. And when he left and the composers, now they're mixing, mm -hmm. you know, they're going into got mixing, going to the engineers, going and all this stuff, big, big, big movies. And they listen to him playing and it's just like, whoa, that's just marvelous. And yeah. usually it was never close field mics. It was the tree which was hmm. three mics in the, in the studio. And his performance was, it has such a beautiful sound. Yeah. Lord of mercy. Yeah. And, and accurate. And uh, I think when he did Star, Star Trek, the, the TV show, mm -hmm. uh, I think he did the solo on that. And it, I, you know, he was sound to his, they were doing a little, uh, take out the flute and bar, you know, 42 or whatever, mm -hmm. doing all those changes. And he played the solo 14 or 15 times before he had a little blemish, mm -hmm. you know, and when the string section stood up and applauded when yeah. he did make a mistake because he was so good, you yeah. know, yeah. it was so beautiful, you know. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I thought that was a, a big part of uh, the community in L.A. It was a bunch of nice people and, and, and not nice in the sense of it wasn't a high standard. It was serious high standards, yeah. you know, and, yeah. but nice to work with. And we all realized that we, we sort of shine as a group. Or we go down in flames as a group. You know? Okay, so that, that begs the question then. <clears throat> um, there were all successes, right? I mean, there had to be times when the producer or the, the composer just could not be satisfied, right? Was never happy with, with anything. Yeah. Yes. There was a, a, there was a couple of instances where uh, the... Uh, I uh, was doing Mission Impossible with, uh, uh, what's his name? I forget the producer of it. Anyway, uh, is Lalo, it's not Lalo Schifrin, is it? No, no. Oh, no, no you're this, thinking producer. This is, this, well, this is the later uh, one that Alan Silvestri did. Mm -hmm. And they had this scene going through a tunnel, a train's going through a tunnel, and and uh, God, the producer, big time producer, uh, when he said spit, you say how far, you know, that kind of producer. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, 
you know, so um, uh, anyway, he told Alan, he says, Alan says, look, this is developed like this. And he had, and I've incorporated the, the, the Mission Impossible theme in this action part of the movie and stuff. And he says, I tell you what, Alan, he says, go back out there and record it the way you want to record it. And he says, then go home tonight and rewrite it. And let's record it the way I want to hear it tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as far as composers, working on composers, uh, yeah, there was guys that uh, were uh, not very nice. And uh, I didn't concern myself with them. They, they had sort of uh, an issue with their self-importance and uh, would never um, compliment you on being accurate, being, mm-hmm. being there. And if something went bad after, you know, you're sitting in an air-conditioned studio, big soundstage, and you sit there and your horn is cold, okay, now let's burn. And uh, that's not always that easy. I mean, you can mm-hmm. blow through your horn and keep your, you know, do some things like that, but it's still demanding and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of circumstances and and things happen, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. We're not we're not machines. We're not robots. So right. And then uh, and then when those uh, those composers, uh, James Horner is a composer I'm thinking about. I, I mm-hmm. refrain from bless his heart. He's not here anymore. Right. And he's uh, uh, Warren Looning was doing. Uh, it was after Rocketeers, this movie, and it was like, the trumpet part. Mm-hmm. And it was just like over and over for about, I don't know, 16 bars, intergalactic skips and stuff, and one never missed it. And he finally chipped it, and James, uh, 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 trumpet, uh, what's that? Check your note, and Bar- first time he's he's clammed it, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and he yelled out, it, "That's the first time I've missed it, James." You know, yeah, he was he was gone after that. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you find you find the circumstances. And, and uh, yeah, not too much, though. Mm-hmm. And then after the Titanic, that movie, uh, James Horner became so wealthy. He became a nice guy, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he became a real nice guy. Man. You know, I've, I've had the good fortune. Uh, the only composer I've been able to talk to is Bruce Broughton. And mm-hmm. what, a, what, a, what a nice guy. I mean, uh, it's just, it was immediate. Uh, camaraderie, you know, the, the conversation was easy, uh, super easy to talk to, and very complimentary of, of all the people that he worked with. But, um, and, and I'm not asking you to throw anybody under the bus, you know, names. I, I'm not into to doing that sort of thing. In fact, mm-hmm. talking about that, after I interviewed uh, Malcolm, 
and Malcolm didn't really throw anybody under the bus, but he kept he kept contacting me. He goes, Larry, you you got to go back and you got to take this story out. And this story, I said, Malcolm, don't worry. You know, you you didn't. But he was really concerned. Uh, you know, he didn't want to offend anybody. Um, and I, I appreciate that. You know, it's like uh, you don't need that in the industry, right? You don't need to to take anybody down because it seems like they do it themselves, right? They do it themselves. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And it, it doesn't serve any purposes out there because what goes around comes around. And, uh, you know, we, we're all trying to, uh, you know, play music. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it becomes another issue. You, you don't sleep. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you're 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 nervous, and it's just it can just cascade into a different thing. I've seen him fold. I've seen yeah. first trumpet players, good ones. I can't do it. I cannot wow. do it, Gary. Wow. And and uh, yeah, and the guys that were really good and almost gonna make enough jobs so they could actually have a living in the recording industry, mm-hmm. just quit and leave a lot mm-hmm. of those, a lot of those over the years, because, uh, you know, uh, and, and we was, we was sort of, uh, we didn't concern my, ourselves with the, uh, other, the other trumpet players in town. You know, somebody calls you up and they say, hey, man, I'd really like to have you on this record and being a bit of bop. And, and, you know, you go, okay. You know, and you don't concern yourself. If that's competition, I don't I don't think it is. I think mm-hmm. it's value for what you can do. Yeah. And, uh, and, and not so much concerned about if, you know, the next guy, this other guy, you can recommend him. And... And I've helped guys a lot of like that. And I would never, never, uh, if somebody did, going back to that question of if somebody, I was playing first and somebody else did something, played it, where I didn't play it, I always let the composer know. I always let the contractor know. And gave them their kudos for that. I did not take their artistry mm. and say, yeah, I did that. Only once I did that. Wait a minute. I was doing comedy relief and dark service and pennies from heaven. Up to high F's and high G's and they wanted to use his recording of it mm-hmm. and and I remember that band just make like you're playing it so I just mimicked that I was playing it and I was thinking about yeah. boy people are going to think I was I'm playing that boy it sounded beautiful man yeah. I'll never forget it because it was a live performance, you yeah. know, and then all of a sudden, you know, it was a feature yeah. of Doc. But most of the time, you know, I always gave those kudos to my fellow people and, mm-hmm. and always, always tried to do that. And 
and uh, championed the artists, the performers, the people playing the music, uh, and the composers, but more so on the performance side because that's where I came from. And, uh, you know, without, you know, it being absurd, yeah. I always leaned on that area of appreciation. You know, uh, along that line, I remember uh, when I talked to Rick Baptist about this, uh, of course, the finally getting the musicians' names in the credits, everybody who's on the score. That's huge, right? I mean, and now, you know, sometimes these credits go by so fast, There's, <laughs> there's and the print is so small, but still, the fact that they finally start to recognize uh, the musicians, I think, is, that's a huge step forward. Um. Yeah, I they I think so. Um, uh, you know, we just just uh, uh, they never cared about that too much. You know, they try. Uh, the industry always tries to downplay what your importance is hmm. as a musician. They've always done that to the artist, and um, you know, it, it's it's a ploy of theirs. You know, just let's keep them down there, little little mm. people down there. Mm. Even though you're a big, uh, you know, I did the bodyguard with uh, Kevin Cosner and, and Whitney Houston. Mm. Did all those recordings with Whitney with David Foster, producer, mm. and mm -hmm. did, you know, and just uh, they had. They could take it and do what they wanted to with it, and it wasn't. Uh, uh, once the record sold 38 million, and uh, that's a lot of records for that's a, a lot. CD. And they, uh, I called up the record label, and they uh, asked him for a gold record, which I never asked for. This is the only. Well, that I did another time too, but I asked for a gold <laughs> record because there was. A, because I, I, I was a soloist on the main title on that, and it was on the record. And uh, the uh, the record label told me that they <clears throat> didn't have budget to give out any gold records anymore, that they were having uh, their company party, and they were giving chocolate records to the people that work at the company, but they didn't have wasn't enough money. To do. Wow. So, you know, <clears throat> you sort of deal with that kind of yeah. um yeah ploy you, you mentioned doc a few minutes ago did you ever get to sit in on uh the tonight show band i did not uh oh. i played there with other bands uh usually uh, it was you know it was uh, johnny dean on snooky young <clears throat> and uh yeah and chuck did it for years and i i did a um, record date once where I was playing first and Johnny Dino was playing second. I did a lot of dates with uh, other kind of calls with Johnny Dino and Snooky. And but there was John, Johnny Dino, Snooky Young, and Yuan Racy in the section. Mm -hmm. And then here's Gary, I, you know, and they said, Sit down there, young fella. I said, Well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. They, they, uh, your turn. Come on. Let's do it. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, man. And, Tell me a little uh, bit about Snooky. 
Snooky was uh, one of the most. I mean, you know, when you Larry, when as you know, with your extensive knowledge of trumpet players in the world, <laughs> not sure how uh, extensive, you, but well, we all do. We we know the greats, and and he was one of them. Man, when he was in the thirties, <clears throat> was was with Jimmy Lunsford's band, which is hot, hot, hot band in New York, big band and stuff. And, you know, and he did all those years for Basie and did, <clears throat> he could swing, he had chops. Hmm. He was, uh, <laughs> they have, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, this is Sweet Edison. He was another one that that uh, wasn't very classical trained, you know. Mm -hmm. And I guess he had a, a thing on on a call over Universal where he was supposed to go or something like that mm -hmm. with the mm -hmm. triple tongue, and he was going you know with his vowels, <laughs> and they and the composer stopped the music so. Uh, you're kidding me, aren't you? <laughs> and he says, no, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Shue yeah. told me a, a story very similar to that. He, Bobby said, I've never learned, never learned a double tongue. Yeah. I think Bobby was there too. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the same story. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, we all wish we could play as beautifully as <laughs> Bobby Shue. So, you yeah. know, uh, uh, but Snooky was, uh, yeah, Snooky was one of a kind, man. He was a very, very nice man. Uh, uh, didn't do drugs, didn't drink, you know, just took care of business. Yeah. And always a good thought, good remarks, and his plan just spoke for itself. Mm-hmm. Hey, you look at at the well and the, uh were both candoli brothers part of that band at one time i don't think pete was but conti yeah conti. Was. Yeah. yeah and the count was uh yeah he was another you know anytime uh actually at one time i thought when jerry and i were in our heyday hey jerry heyday <laughs> we uh i actually thought that we because we our timing uh, we're doing the stuff with Quincy and doing these records with him with George Duke and a lot of great artists records and stuff that we were the new sound and a lot of, a lot of that was true and that mm -hmm. we are the extension of those other guys and sort of had a my nose was up in the air just a little bit this is me personally. I never mm -hmm. did it, never portrayed that, never tried to, mm -hmm. ever, never did. No, 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 no. But inside my mind, I'm saying, boy, we, we're doing something, <laughs> really you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and I made that full circle and I said, no, 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 absolutely not. These guys were as much of a musician as I ever wanted to be. They carried the torch big time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been in our whole history of guys that have a passion for music and, and dedication to 
performing and playing with others, I think it's just uh, uh, we, our history is in depth. Yeah, I don't care about the, I don't care about the high notes. I've recorded up to E flat above double C. Uh, I've that's high enough. And <laughs> I know I know I know those high. You know, Malcolm did this on, on the Tchaikovsky. He did this cadenza where he went five different octaves, uh, and he played this line up live. Me recording him, just me and him, and he played up to up to double C, all the way down to the all the to contra mm. pedal C, and it sounded beautiful. And I looked yeah. at Malcolm. This Malcolm, I says, uh, one more, <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me and he says. What was wrong with that? I said, <laughs> nothing. I just want to hear you do it again. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, I was just getting ready to ask you about that. So when Malcolm comes to you and says, hey, Gary, I want to record the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto. I mean, were you like, are you nuts? I would heard him do it as a demo. And it was pretty dang good little demo. It was with... Mm. A piano and uh, uh, who somebody that did the adaptation of it for piano. They have a yeah. anyway. He went and recorded that, and I said, I think we can pull it off. Uh, to record it is uh, uh, there was financial concerns. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't a record label. Uh, at that time, the money wasn't there on a lot of classical projects, especially the Tchaikovsky Ballet Concerto. Mm, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so I was, I did, and I knew he could play it. He, he was, he was another virtuoso at a very young age, mm -hmm. and he could do all that stuff. He he studied with Vacchiano. He had. Uh, in New York, and he had uh, he could get all the transpositions and and um, uh, to E flat and D and C and and also he had had uh, uh, could do the multiple tonguings of double tongue to triple tongue and switch back and forth, and it was fluid for him because he, mm -hmm. he learned that as a young age, so technically, you know. Uh, he was frightening what he could mm -hmm. pull off technically, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, so I I had an extensive uh, string library, and I did a mock-up of the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto with about three different string sections, and I did the down bows and the up bows, and yeah, I mean, I really did it where it sounded mm -hmm. Pretty dang good. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, really good because I spent so much. I spent a month on it, and and I took it in it and and uh, uh, for him to record that was going to be uh, with a live orchestra and uh, was going to be around a hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars. 
at a, at a low budget because this wasn't you know he wasn't part of an orchestra that was already set mm -hmm. up you know this would be hiring guys three hour calls so how i have that i figured so we figured a way to do it where it was with the combination of those uh strings and 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 bringing other people on on the arrangement so it it uh we used a uh like a, a chamber orchestra with it small mm -hmm. that uh, and the musicians are so good in la they could play to the pre-record and get it Mm -hmm. and nail it so yeah. and then Malcolm and I went at it you know we would record you know maybe Monday and Wednesday and then he was busy and we get back together on Sunday you know and it's not it's you don't have a flow a daily flow going at it and it makes it extremely difficult mm -hmm. and it's already difficult to begin with so yeah you know, we just took our time, didn't didn't worry about it. When he had to work, I had to work. We went and worked, and and then we meet at the pass and go at it again. So, being a producer, uh, and you mentioned being an engineer too, but being a producer, uh, there's a lot of trust, right? When somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, Gary, I want you to produce uh, produce my album," right? Because you you're going to have to be honest with them in the booth, right? <laughs> you're going to and uh, but they have to trust that you're not just going to be a yes. That sounded great. Yes, that sounded great. Let's go on. I would. What I would do if something was, uh, you know, like with Arturo. Arturo just wanted to go straight ahead and thank you very much at the end of the day, you know, and and he would play something comes to mind he was doing uh this feature and and it was just beautifully done played and he got to this three bars that was funky ended up on low d and it was didn't have a slide out there was a little you know eyebrow raising and wasn't a good sound just sort of like this guy off kilter at that those three bars and when I finished the tune and I'm, I'm saying, I say to Arturo, I says, Arturo, I says, you know, listen to your sound in here. And I says, it's so beautiful. And I says, when you get to this, this, uh, these particular bars, I says, your sound changes and the pitch is not good. I says, I know you don't like the punch. You listen to it and you tell me, I says, it's an easy punch. It's easy. And why keep it there unless you want to keep it there? Mm -hmm. Unless you just want to say, you want to be bullheaded and say, well, yeah, this is going to sound funky forever. You know, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say that to him. I would let him listen to it. And he says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get that. Piece of cake. So yeah. you include the artist's and what you're trying to do as a producer and get the best out of them and and uh, sort of make it their idea and uh, you know and it keeps the uh, legal 
it keeps the uh, you know keeps the ego out of yeah. the mix. You know. Yeah. Um. Who am I trying to think of? Al Hurt, uh, not Al Hurt. Uh, Herb Alpert. Herb Alpert. Sorry. Um, you know, of course, he's a solo artist. I'm just curious uh, if you ever got a chance to work with with him. Yes, I did, and uh, I did played several records with him. The latest one I did was a Christmas record, and uh, he sounded really good on it. Man, he did. Uh, uh, it, it's just his performance; everything on it was really stellar. And um, we did it over at A&M Records, and that was maybe uh, three years ago, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was living out here when I went and drove in and did that with him, and uh, mm -hmm. and some other records I did with him. You know, uh, yeah. uh, he's got his own uniqueness of music and sound that mm -hmm. is. Uh, uh, you know, what can you say? You know, uh, you know, Kenny G is, is, it was a sex folder that was poo-pooed by a lot of, a lot of saxophone players. Sure. Uh, you know, and his, the way he went about it, and they knew too much about him and that he would almost write out his solos or whatever. And he had a, he had a good sound. He could play in tune. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a careful place to be in, to be where you're, you want to down, anytime somebody uh, says something bad about another musician, is usually is that they want to elevate themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, and so you just take it, take it with a grain of salt. Again, Herb Alpert, you know, A Taste of Honey went through the roof and uh, when he started out. And it was a kind man, a gentle man, lovely person. Mm -hmm. And he found a niche, you know, and music to me is different strokes for different folks. What would, you know, the, 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 the scene now is, is, uh, what has been uh, the mass of young kids have been subject to uh, that they really don't know who the masters are, mm -hmm. who the classics are. And so they're little, they're not a little, they're ignorant and what, what that scope is. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's a confining scope if you just listen to low end kick. Uh, you know, it, it's and a bunch of words going down, you're sort of going into their life, and then, you know, so mm -hmm. it's just, uh, um, it's a, the depth of the music, and there's a lot of it, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, Woody Shaw, forget about it, forget about it with that guy, and mm -hmm. and Freddie Hubbard, forget about it. You're up there, you know, don't even. Bring your horn on stage. With those guys. <laughs> leave, leave it in the case and enjoy yeah. yourself. You know. Yeah. Hey, um, 
this has been a lot of fun. Uh, let me tell you, I, I don't get these calls. Oh, <laughs> well, what uh, what timing on that? Uh, obviously, <laughs> that's the most ironic thing. Uh, hopefully, he's going to check back in here. Oh, here he is. Here he is. Sorry about that. You know, my my iPad died. Uh, and then I, I wondered. went to my other iPad, and it's got Chrome set up, and uh, yeah, Zoom doesn't work with Chrome. So, you know, the ironic thing is, you were saying, I don't often get calls like this, and that's where, that's where you disappeared, and I, I thought that was brilliant timing. Yeah. It was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't do a lot of interviews, and uh, so it, it's it just that's the way it works out, which is okay with me too, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and I really appreciate this this uh, moment to uh, for us to be uh, for you asking me these questions, like my life matters. You know, and, it absolutely does. And, uh, yeah, you know, just uh, uh, just if I can help anybody with you know this the old stories or whatever, it's changed mm -hmm. so much now. It's not really uh, applicable anymore. You know, unless you are in the studios or uh, you know, I, I have. Uh, um, you know, I guess we have merits about what we've done and what we've accomplished in this mm -hmm. life. And, and, um, but I'm so excited about this new record I'm doing that I don't even have a name for yet. Is, is, is just keep moving on, you know, and, and yeah. playing the best I can, you know. So you have a, a, an idea for when that's going to be finished and released? Uh, well, I have three more tunes ready to go that I haven't recorded yet. So that mm -hmm. would bring it up to 14. And, uh, you know, just uh, when I say, okay, we, we and we got some there that uh, my sister is a bassoonist down in Panama City, Florida. Mm -hmm. And she uh, plays in, in uh, string quartets, string uh, 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 wind ensembles. She plays in the Panama, Panama, Panama City Orchestra, and and did, did a lot of the all that area around the mm -hmm. Panhandle mm -hmm. with those orchestras and stuff. A lot of the musicians come over from Tallahassee from the school there and play and there's good quality musicians there mm -hmm. and she uh, uh, is an accomplished bassoonist and flute player flutist she uh, does mm -hmm. that too and she also plays <clears throat> piano and teaches kids uh, you know and does accompaniments for them and stuff like that and mm -hmm. so she's uh, she's not in the same uh, bag I'm into and I sent her a couple of tunes. She's been asking for them because I tell her about it. And she just totally raved about how mm -hmm. 
good it was. So that's the object is, is that we just want to get the love back from people to appreciate our creativity. Yeah. And, uh, that's that's the name that's the name of the game there so of course it's my sister yeah. i couldn't go wrong i, I felt pretty <laughs> safe sending it to yeah her, you know? yeah hey um I, I do want to wrap up but i i do want to say you said uh like like it mattered and i will say this uh it absolutely matters you know i think um everybody i talk to uh, in some way they've set the bar really high and you know to think about the recording scene and even the live music scene you guys uh, well and you even referred to the masters right you guys are the masters you're the ones who set those bars and uh, i think raise the level for everybody so thank you for all that and uh you know for all those movies that you played on that nobody knows uh that it was you um it'd be nice to know uh, they could figure that out but um gary this has been a lot of fun I appreciate your time. Oh, man, it's been just terrific. Uh, listening and, you know, having you having me on your show, Larry. Everybody, thanks to Gary. Um, appreciate you guys being here to listen. Uh, Gary, by the way, this is going to live on on YouTube and uh, and on the uh, uh, the audio is going to live on on SoundCloud through the audio podcast. Again, thank you, Gary. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah.